Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Jason Giagrande from The Roastery coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined this week by a new co-host. She is the publisher of Houston Food Finder and a veteran observer of the Houston food scene, Phaedra Cook. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Balls Out Burger closed. This is Ian Tucker, the owner of Puccine's uh, first Houston concept. It was devoted to what he described as New York diner-style cheeseburgers, which is to say, like, very no-frills, very straightforward, very classic cheeseburgers. It was open for not quite two years before it shuttered. Phaedra, my first question to you is, did you ever go to Balls Out Burger? No, I did not. And there was there were a couple of reasons for that. Well, okay. What were the reasons why you never made your way there? One of them, I, I did find the name off-putting initially, but that's not really going to decide for me where I go and where I don't go. I think a lot of people believe that food writers go anywhere they want, dine anywhere they want. They just have an unlimited food budget and unlimited time, and none of those things are true. One of the problematic things for me with Balls Out Burger was I never, I, I get a lot of recommendations from readers, as well as fellow industry people like you. And I never had one single person say, Phaedra, you really got to go here. They have some of the best burgers in Houston. Well, I will say as someone who ate at Balls Out Burger a couple of times, you know, right when it opened and then a few months later to just kind of check in on it. I, I was I was surprised to see some of the comments on social media that people thought it was a great burger because it always seemed to me like a burger that I could make myself. And I don't not not that I cook that much or not that I make a lot of burgers, but you know, when I'm seeking out a restaurant burger, I want some component that's better than something I could make for myself. So whether that's like the slow cooked tomato at Bernie's Burger Bus or, you know, just like the the weird gooey cheese at Shake Shack or or those teeny tiny little perfectly crispy patties at Burger Chon. I mean, whatever it is, like I I I I'm not gonna go to the effort to like cook my burgers on a griddle or whatever to, to get that texture. So, but it, at, uh, at balls out burger, I always just felt like this is like a pretty normal meat patty with like salt and pepper seasoning on a toasted bun. And it's like, I, I can do, I can do all that on my grill. I feel the same way about steakhouses. It's not difficult to sear a steak. So what is your value proposition? Oh, you know, you age, you, you dry age for 60 days. Okay. I'm not going to do that. So now you have my attention, but I think I think that location for Balls Out Burger was tough too. Yeah, it's well, it's a very high traffic location, but as someone pointed out to me, kind of in the in the comments of of the conversation after this news broke, people, you know, they stop at that traffic light at 20th and they stop at that traffic light at 19th, and then they just floor it. And Durham is like four lanes wide, 
and people just they they like they don't even see it and for a, a lunch and dinner option people are going the wrong way they're coming north on shepherd at that time of day they go south on durham in the morning so it might make it might make more sense as like a breakfast concept that captures the the morning crowd that makes a lot more sense to me as well and and you're right they're just far enough kind of off of what has developed as the Heights Restaurant Row, that they kind of didn't get in on that crowd, on that scene. Well, I mean, if you're if you're a real estate broker and you're trying to pitch this location to someone, you go, well, look at Heights Beer Garden and look at Snooze and look at Ford Fry's Properties, Super Rica and La Lucha, and they're all on Shepherd and Durham is like just on the other side, but that it, it's a critical like mind space and also like traffic flow problem. So Shepherd good, Durham maybe not so good unless you're at a hard corner like Flying Fish is, where it's at the light at Durham and Nineteenth. So you have to stop. You can't ignore it. You, you see it more readily than you do Balls Out Burger. Yeah, and you know I love Ian's other restaurant, Pochine or or Poyton, if if you're most Texans. Pochine. <laughs> but I I think that is a very good restaurant. So I certainly don't think that the issues had much to do with skill of restaurateur. I think it was just a combination of, of unfortunate factors. Well, but I do want to talk about the name because I, so I hear restaurant names like band names. Like I don't really think about them that much. Like that's just what it's called. Like, like there's nothing about, you know, I, I've said this before. There's nothing about Pearl Jam that connotes like big crunchy guitars and Eddie Vedder's vocals. Like that's just what the band is called. There's nothing about, Better luck tomorrow that connotes like cool cocktails and fun bar food. It's like that's just it, it just has to be memorable and ideally you should be able to have whatever that thing is dot com as your website address. Like that those are really the most important things. But one of our Facebook commenters wrote, uh, why would any parent take their child to a place called Balls Out? Like, was the name that bad? Because I never thought it was that bad. As as a mom, I, I have three kids. They're all grown now. But I think that is a difficult one to explain. It's not like explain, you know, explaining balls out is not the same ex- as explaining sun's out, guns out, you know, totally sure. different thing. So if when one of my kids were younger, when they if they had asked me, Mommy, what does this mean? I, I might have a tough time with it. Also, initially, and like I said, the name didn't keep me out. But when I first heard the name mentally... I did kind of put it in the category of like Hooters and Twin Peaks. It seemed like a very frat boy kind of name. Well, yeah. So Ian's explanation, as documented in my article when it opened, was that it was a railroading term, right? That, a, that an engine at full, full steam ahead was said to be going balls out. But that's not really the popular context. That is not the popular context. <laughs> well, but it doesn't literally mean like you're taking your you're taking your pants off right it, it just means you're going like maximum effort right it just means you're going full throttle so i i it's I a don't know. reference maximum effort yeah it's, just, it's like you're hanging you know uh hang out with your wang out or uh whatever yeah it's kind of like that kinda, uh, i kind of took it that way i don't know i mean i always uh i i always think back and this is this is very specific to me and i i think there's going to be like three other people that that will have the same memory and chuckle about it i always remember did you ever watch the state on mtv in like the mid 90s 
I did not. This is a very specific thing to me. They had this sketch where they, there was a character named Louie, and his whole thing was he would repeat his catchphrase over and over again, and it was, I want to dip my balls in it, and he would hold up two <laughs> ping pong balls. And it was like, we made this delicious bowl of marinara. I want to dip my balls in it. And they would just repeat that for like five minutes, and everyone would get the giggles, and that was the end of it. So I, it never it never bothered me that much, but there I, I guess I just don't, so I just can't relate to the people who were like, this name makes me really angry and I will never eat there because of it. But apparently that was a thing because that was the overwhelming reaction when the restaurant closed. I mean, I think that perspective, it's a, a little bit Puritan for, for my taste. Uh, but like I said, it would be a hard thing to explain to kids. And honestly, as a female, because I mentally kind of put it in the same category as like, say, Hooters, I didn't really feel like I was that restaurant's target audience. Yeah, I guess. I I mean, it's a burger place, so I think sort of by definition, it's sort of catering to a male audience. But yeah, I don't think it was ever deliberately designed to repel females. I don't think that was that was anyone's intention. But in Houston, such a huge burger town, there are so many great burgers in this city. That value proposition really needs to be very clear. Right. All right. Topic number two, Voodoo Donuts, the Portland-based hipster cult favorite, has plans to come to Houston. They released, they, they put out a press release that they were coming to Washington Avenue to the former Sammy's Wild Game Grill spot. In addition, there was an article in the Houston Chronicle last week with a real estate developer who said they are coming to Lower Westheimer uh, to a space currently occupied by an antique shop uh, roughly across from Agora, the Greek coffee shop. Um, I've never been to Voodoo Donuts. There's a location in Austin. I've never been. I've never been to uh, Voodoo Donuts. Have you? Have you had the opportunity? I have not. I have not been there either. This was apparently a favorite of Anthony Bourdain, who did some Portland-based TV and cited there maple bacon bar as one of his favorites there's a person-shaped donut uh a voodoo doll donut with a like a uh pretzel stick through the heart like like a voodoo doll there's uh there's another one shaped like a cock and balls it's called the cock and balls <laughs> I, i'm i'm just telling you i'm just telling you what they call the donut it's just factual I understand. that's that's just what they call it <laughs> and and i you know and if you try to order it is the is this like um What's that brash beer? Uh, oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh, are you talking about pussy wagon? I am talking about pussy wagon. Thank you. Yeah, is this like if you is if you if you go to if you go to brash and you you try to order a pee wagon? I think they they like they emphasize. Do you mean the pussy wagon, sir? Is <laughs> that as loudly as possible? I so think, and I feel like everyone you, can hear. <laughs> if you walk into Voodoo Donuts and you go, uh, "Yeah, give me the C and B," you mean you the, the cock and balls? balls? <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, these donuts are very well thought of. It's been a, it's been a cult hit, and the one on Washington Avenue apparently is going to be open twenty four seven, with a drive through, which feels absolutely appropriate given all the like bars and nightclubs that are not very far from where it will be. But I also like, I don't know. Do you care? I feel like I should be more excited about this than I am. And 
I mean, I think one of the things is I just get more excited about kind of homegrown Houston restaurants. We've had so many out-of-town chains come here. And we also have some very good local, locally raised uh, donut donut shops here. Well, and, and I think some of our locally raised donut shops are riffing on ideas that were probably pioneered by Voodoo Donut. Places like, like Voodoo Donuts, yeah. Right, like putting cereal on top of donuts or candy on top of donuts. You know, that you know, that may have been fresh 15 years ago when Voodoo Donuts started, but now it's been so thoroughly copied it's like Okay. You took like, too long to get here. You took too long to get here. It's and like now in and out Burger. Are you listening? Kinda, well, no, I think in and out Burger is going to be just fine. But, uh, but yeah, I just, I, I mean, don't like, don't get me wrong. I'm going, right? When it opens, I'm going. I'm getting my donuts. But, but am I excited? Eh. Well, you heard they had Anthony Bourdain's favorite donut. So, you know, how can you not go, go right. eat that? How can you not right? get a, maple, a a bacon, a bacon maple bar, a maple bacon bar. I'm just easy for me to say. I'm starting to get bored with the whole kind of childhood sweet kitschy throwbacks. I'm just getting a little bored with it. Yeah, but I don't know what the I don't know what the innovative thing to do and don't like. But donuts are like inherently nostalgic. Like you, you want the the chocolate glazed or the, I mean, you know, what's the be- the best donut in Houston is, well, the your favorite donut is probably the first place you have a donut. It's like what's that that pizza theory? It's like the first pizza you had is how you will think of pizza for the rest of your life. My my favorite donut is the Shipley plain glazed. Right, and I think and it most was the first donut I ever had. <laughs> yeah, and I think most Houstonians feel that way, and I think we measure every donut, kind of in comparison to a Shipley's donut and there's sort of better and worse versions of that. Like, like River Oaks donuts is basically fancy Shipley's. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of what I want. I'm ready to go back. I want to see a place open that kind of does for donuts. What common bond did for croissants, fancy donuts, just like this is the, we think this is the absolute best rendition of a glazed, of a crawler, of, you know, just do the classics as, as great as you possibly can do them. I'd be interested in that. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be Voodoo Donut. Nope, I don't think so. All right. If you want a Fruity Pebbles Donut, that's probably your place. <laughs> if, you want a, if you want a donut chip like a dick, they got you. <laughs> Things I can't say on the radio. Things Michael's going to have to bleep out on the radio version. <laughs> He's uh, going to stop making more work for me. All right. Topic number three, it's been a busy week for openings. Uh, instead, like these are these are not places we visited. So so separate from the restaurants of the week, but just to kind of make people aware of like what's fresh on the scene, starting with Verdine. This is the vegan restaurant that evolved out of the ripe cuisine food truck. It is the second restaurant to open in the Heights Waterworks development, joining Hop Dotty. And Ginya Ramen and Common Bond are also slated for that project. Now, I will say I have eaten there. You have not because we tried to go on Saturday and they had sold out of food. 
Yeah, so lunch usually media. runs until... It, yeah, this is your fault, really. It's probably <laughs> my fault. <laughs> it normally would be open until 3 p.m. for lunch, and it only does lunch, right? Well, they're, it's soft open 11 to 3. They will add dinner hours very soon. Yeah, and by 1.30 p.m., it was completely out of food, and it's probably worth noting that you know, for people who might head out on a Saturday afternoon, the parking lot was completely full, too. And yeah. Virginia hasn't even opened yet, and neither has Common Bond. Yes, the parking lot that looked so spacious when it was just Hop Dottie or when I went there for lunch on a Tuesday afternoon does not look quite as spacious uh, in the middle of the weekend lunch rush when both restaurants are at capacity. I know the Heights residents aren't going to want to hear this, but they could really use a parking garage. <laughs> yeah, or if nothing else, they could use, like, some... There's the hospital next door, like, they should... You Make know, some they money with that. Lease some spillover parking, like on the weekends or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that works, but uh, I was, I was, and and you know, some of the spots were taken up by the construction crews that are working on the other two restaurants. But that's relatively, you know, if that's six or seven vehicles, it's a it's a pretty decent sized parking lot. But yeah, it was totally full. Yeah, and that's. That's happening in various areas uh, around the Heights because there has been such a boom in, in new restaurants. Right. But I will say, like, what Ferdine is doing is very interesting. Stephanie Hoban, the chef owner, got a lot of acclaim for her ripe cuisine food truck. And what she has done basically is take things that were specials on the food truck, like uh, a vegan crab cake sandwich. They get pride of place on the permanent menu. She's added, you know, jackfruit tacos. That's been a, a big winner for her. And then she's thrown in some new dishes. I'm, I haven't tried the spinach and mushroom dosa yet, but I will. There's a couple of different uh, vegan cheeseburgers. She's going to do vegan cheese plates uh, because they have beer and wine available, so you can pair that. It's a nice patio. I mean, you know, I, I'm not a vegan. I will never be a vegan. But I certainly seem to know ever-increasing numbers of either vegans or people who are vegetarian or who are just trying to cut back on the amount of meat they eat. Uh, and there's not really anything quite like this in the Heights. So I think it's going to be a, a really nice addition to the neighborhood. Well, and being food writers, we might not be vegans, but sometimes it's really nice to go eat that way <laughs> and just have a light meal for a change. Yeah, I mean, I ate that vegan crab cake sandwich and she's doing this like fried cauliflower and what... I would describe as a sesame chicken type sauce, uh, you know, like sweet, sweet and honey and anyway, all good, all delicious things. You know, I would happily eat both of those things again. That sounds good. Yeah. So topic three, sub point two, uh, our second opening of the week, Dolce Cannoli and Pizzeria, the new concept from Drew Rogers. People may remember seeing Drew's Pastry, Pre Drew's pastry Place on an episode of The Cake Boss on TLC about five years ago, he had a, a bakery up in Vintage Park that was struggling. Buddy Velasco came and showed him how to make cannoli cupcakes, turned that business around, got him a whole bunch of attention. Uh, that business closed last year, and he's back in Memorial City Mall, really focused on the pizza this time. Uh, I talked to Drew briefly, and he is doing... He's figured out a way to filter his water to mimic New York City tap water, which is supposedly what makes bread in New York, like bread and bagels and pizza in New York, taste better. So, and then he's doing, you know, cannolis and cannoli cupcakes and all that stuff too. I have been 
rooting for Drew for years. I used to live and work about two miles away from Drew's Pastry Place. And the first time I ever walked in there was to pick up a, a cookie tray for work. I was both the IT manager and office manager for a small oil and gas company at the time. And apparently the unofficial cookie mom. And apparently I was mom for everything, (laughs) but that's a different story. But I remember walking in and being so thrilled and surprised to see all of these very authentic little scene uh, Italian cookies. And Unfortunately, as kind of shown on that episode of Bakery Boss, the people who lived in the other people who lived in the area didn't gravitate to it. And so, you know, Buddy ends up steering Drew into doing cupcakes. And yeah, you can say maybe the show temporarily turned things around, but clearly not not for too terribly long. Yeah, I think I obviously I think his location, it's right in the middle of Memorial City Mall. It was it was too sweet for a little while. I mean that's a that's a very busy part of the world, and you know pizzas like ten inch ten inch personal pizzas. You know they're doing the the mod pizza thing where it's one price for unlimited toppings. You know grab and go a coffee, sit and have a pizza and a beer, grab a couple cannoli. I mean all, all of that makes sense to me. I I have not I have not had a chance to try uh, dolce cannoli and pizzeria, but but I will uh, soon. I hope he's making his meatball pizza again because he used to make that at Drew's Pastry Place and that was always on point. That was one of my favorite pizzas in that area. I hope that this is the correct location for that. But if he's being more pizza focused this time, hopefully it is. Well, and he's working with a couple who have had a number of these branded concepts in malls like they had a Nestle's cookie thing for a while and a couple others. So they, I think they understand the operations side. They understand how to market in that environment. Drew, if Drew focuses on the food and these people focus on the, the business, I mean, that, that sounds about right to me. I, fingers crossed. Right. I, I have nothing but good wishes that this one is very, very successful. All right. That does it for the News of the Week. We'll be right back with our Restaurants of the Week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? So, Phaedra, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk about a couple of places that we visited. We started at Alice Blue, which is not a new restaurant, but it does have a new chef and a new direction, thanks to Brandy Key, who is now the the corporate chef for both of Claire Smith's restaurants, both Alice Blue and Canopy and Montrose. Um, Well, let me just throw it to you. well, had you been to Alice Blue before Brandy took it over? I had visited Alice Blue once, not too terribly long after it opened. And I went there with an industry friend for lunch. We had a nice time. But I thought the food was good. But one of the key things for me is, am I compelled to return? And after that meal, I wasn't. I, didn't, I wasn't in any rush to go back. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way that the 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 I I went a couple of times. The food never quite grabbed me. It felt felt like a nice addition to the neighborhood, but not really a destination. And and life is short. Um, how do you feel about the version of Alice Blue that we tried on Saturday? 
much more compelling. I really enjoyed it. They're putting out an, an excellent double cheeseburger with house-cured bacon that made me very happy. They, they've retained some of the things that work, like they've had a uh, really great sourdough with a crunchy exterior and a big swath of butter with fennel pollen on top of it. That has always been just a fabulous bread course. Uh, so I'm glad that they kept that. But I was just, I just thought the food was more flavorful and a little more masterful. But I've, I've been a friend, a, a fan of Chef Keys since Copa. Right. I think you and I, that that would be the first time either of us had Brandy's cooking was, was at Copa. And then she spent all that time with the Clark Cooper organization, opened a whole bunch of restaurants for them. Brief stint with uh, Lasco Enterprises at Max's Wine Dive and the Tasting Room. Kind of sprinkled some magic on there. I, you know, I like that she's back in the kitchen. I know she probably doesn't. I, I'm sure she probably wants to find like a chef de cuisine type that she can turn day to day operations over to. But, but I like that she's back in a kind of small, independently owned restaurant. I like that she's kind of got her hands on things. I had uh, chicken taquitos that I really enjoyed. Like. Like they're smoked, like they're smoking the, the meat there, you know, crispy, this really great, bright salsa verde that went with them, nicely cooked rice and beans. I mean, just, you know, classic Tex-Mex kind of comfort food. Checked all the boxes. Your burger uh, was very good. I, I like the bread course. You know, that's a winning direction for Alice Blue, and, and it will get me to go in for dinner to try some of this, you know, they've moved away from some of the European stuff going a little more classic American. Um, I'm, I'm definitely excited to go back and try more of that. It feels a lot less now like a ladies who lunch spot too. And that's kind of how it felt to me on my first visit. And now it feels just like it has more, more general appeal and, and the food, you know, there's some flavorful hearty dishes there now, not crazy, you know, not super heavy, but just really pleasant. And I mean, I definitely would recommend it for brunch. Yeah. And they're, and speaking of ladies who lunch, they are doing afternoon tea with a reservation. So for the ladies who lunch or, or for the, <laughs> the cool moms who, who can find an activity for their kids in the middle of the afternoon, that the, the menu for the tea looks very good. They still got you covered. Yeah. All right. And then the other restaurant I want to talk about is, La Via, this is the uh, this is the latest French restaurant at the corner of Richmond and Montrose. It was Brasserie Max and Julie for a long time. It was Cafe Azor for about a year. It was La Via Saint Tropez for about six months, uh, and now it is just La Via with a new chef from France. Who, if I were better prepared, I would have written his name down. But here we are. Here we are. We had brunch. What'd you think? I really enjoyed it. I I really like classic French food. And I I mean there were a few modern twists here and there, but I, I think there was an emphasis on the classics. It was not uh, there were things I really enjoyed a great deal. I wouldn't say it was a flawless experience. And to be blunt, they knew that we were there. <laughs> so, I mean, just uh, 
as a few examples, they have one of the most beautiful bread baskets in Houston. I uh, will just put that out there. Um, we had wonderful uh, oysters from uh, Pleasant Bay uh, off of Massachusetts, but they weren't shucked. Right, or, like these beautiful, briny, a little bit sweet oysters with a, a compelling little mignonette. But yeah, they they you know they weren't they weren't shucked well. The oysters didn't slide out of their shell the way they do when they're cut properly. You know the the flavor of the croissants and the apple tart and everything in that pastry basket was great. That the you know were they as sky high like as the common bond or Becky or the ones Becky Masson makes once a week at fluff bake bar. It's like, no, but would I eat them again? Yeah. I mean, of course, if know. they brought you another basket, you would, you would pick out something. Did I, did I take the leftovers home and finish them off that <laughs> afternoon? Yes, I did. So, you know, I, it, by the way, the chef's name, uh, a quick Google says Kevin day, Andrea. So moved here from France. I think he was, he, he was on top chef France for a little while. Uh, young guy seems to be very engaged, like seems to be very excited to be here. I, I probably need to talk to him a little more and get his story and maybe have him on here at some point. But now I would run, not walk to go get that risotto with black truffle again. And yeah. black truffle season is almost over. So I, please take me very seriously on that. If you would like to try it, you should, you should go get it. But that was hands down my favorite dish. Although you know, they do a really great, I mean, it's hard. I suppose roasted chicken isn't that hard of a dish to make, but I really do enjoy a good roasted chicken. Yeah, and there's not that many of them, and it's kind of easy to screw up. And people inevitably, like if you at like, where's the best roast chicken? Like half the time you hear people say Costco, right? Because it's cheap and it's readily available. But this was nice. I mean, the skin was crispy. The meat was juicy. You know, I like those potato, those, those whipped potatoes that, that came alongside of it. I mean, you know, all of that. I thought was very pleasant. You had the soft scrambled eggs with the truffle. I did. And they had kind kind of an, I mean, I like eggs. Eric does not like eggs. Uh, And these eggs had kind of almost a a greenish color that kind of mystified us at first. They were were almost brown. Yeah. Until I I asked the chef, uh, where is this color coming from? And I wasn't sure if maybe he'd made some kind of a beurre blanc base with truffle that was giving it that tinge, but it mainly was because he added red wine. And so the color wasn't the most appealing thing in the world. I otherwise, I enjoyed the dish. I really do like eggs. They do, I'd say, a very classic uh, croque monster. But the... The risotto was my favorite thing, followed by the chicken. Oh, and the French toast. Oh, yeah. That was good. Super gooey, very rich French toast that they do on the dessert menu. Yeah, no, that was really good. I, I would go back. I mean, my bottom line, I have patience for little bobbles here and there. Yeah, and it, like Alice Blue, right, the brunch was compelling enough that now I want to go back for dinner. Yes. And try, you know, spend a little more money, try some of the stuff that, that, you know, might be a little like might show off the technique a little more. Yeah, no, I, I had been, I had been skeptical of La Via because La Via Saint-Tropez was not, just didn't work for me. I'm not a big French food person. So, but I do think there is kind of this, there's, there's always a place for like a, a pretty good, like pretty classic French bistro. And this fills that role 
better than La Via Centropé did. And by the way, like they've cut the trim down the wine list and cut the prices on the cocktails. I mean, Centropé six dollar t- cocktails at brunch. Yeah, six, six dollar cocktails dollars. at brunch. Uh, the Centropé cocktails were in that like fourteen fifteen dollar range, which is more money than I want to pay for a cocktail. So you know, I think they've got the they got their head around the pricing. And that's going to make a huge difference. That's a crazy good price for cocktails. I mean, if nothing else, just go sit at the bar during brunch and enjoy some $6 cocktails. Why wouldn't you do that? It also, it, it's a lovely space. And it is an ideal place to take a visiting relative out for a meal, take a date over there for a nice meal. Uh, the the environment is is great. And... Uh, the people who are operating it seem uh, like very nice people. They, you know, provide great service. I, I would be very interested in hearing uh, from anyone who has been there already or who goes there soon what your thoughts were. Um, yes. And, Phaedra, before you get out of here, do you, in 60 seconds, do you have like a – did you have – you judged the Sausage Wars competition, the inaugural competition at – Spindle Tap Brewery, did you have a favorite sausage? Uh, I was so in line with how the uh, with who the judges winner was, and that was the queso poblano sausage from Tejas. Yeah, that, that Tejas chili, chocolate craftery and barbecue. Yeah, that chili relleno sausage has become kind of famous in the Houston barbecue world, and for a reason, it is just it tastes like a chili. I mean, it tastes like a chili relleno. It is fatty meaty cheesy deliciousness uh slight props to wayne miller of louis miller barbecue in taylor texas he told me that he did a beef rib smoked gouda hatch chili sausage that he told me is the first time he's ever made sausage with cheese in it so uh for being a first like it was one of the better sausages there and so for being like his first time like for the public producing sausage with cheese in it uh, there, yeah, that's why, that's why Louis Miller Barbecue is the Cathedral of Smoke, and that's why Wayne Miller is just a little bit better at this than just about anybody else. From a judging standpoint, it's unfortunate timing that he chose this particular competition to do that. We actually had four different entries that were all some kind of version of a fresh pepper and sausage, or I'm sorry, fresh pepper and uh, cheese. So we had a couple of like pepper jack and poblanos and and yeah i remember actually his his gouda uh sausage i do remember that and uh, so it's like from him of course it's it's good but we had four ones that were similar but there was just no touching the tejas version right the cheese was melty and silky and it was just wonderful all right and what can people look forward to on houston food finder so in houston food finder are just our continuing coverage uh we are eric and i have been writers and and food editors and whatnot for a very long time so i would say we do similar coverage but uh, we have an essential houston dishes series by carlos brandon going on right now he also writes for houston press and it talks about if if you could only pick a few places to go eat where would you go and it's a good list for, say, out-of-town guests who are like, I really just, you know, I want to just try some of the best, you know, brisket or whatever in the area. So we've got that series going on. But otherwise, it's pretty much just ongoing news 
coverage and just trying to keep up with what's going on. It's crazy right now. Yeah, no one wants to hear about how hard our jobs are, but yes, it's it's very busy. Yeah, but visit us. Can I tell them how to yeah. find us? Plug it. V- visit us at www.houstonfoodfinder.com. And we do things that are similar to Culture Map, but we do things that are different too. Absolutely. Phaedra, thanks for being here. Thank you. I'll be right back with Jason Giagrande. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I'm joined this week by Jason Giagrande. He is one of the owners of The Roastery, a coffee shop and cafe that is now in three HEB locations across the Houston area. Jason, welcome to the show. How are you? Great, Eric. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I always kind of like to start at the beginning. You're you're part of a group known as the Four J's uh, with three other chefs from New York. Can you just sort of tell us who the who the other three J's are and kind of how you guys got together on this project? Absolutely. So it's uh, Jonathan Waxman, Jimmy Bradley, Joey Campanero, and myself. And uh, we've been working together about seven years now on putting together a, a food product line. Uh, and that's how we got introduced to HEB and we started working with them. Yeah. So, I mean, Jonathan Waxman, one of the, I don't know if he'd quite be on the Mount Rushmore of American chefs, but he'd be like, he might be like the sixth face. So uh, I actually used to years ago work for a company called Compass Group, uh, which is a large corporate food service company. And um, I was hired by them to work with NBC Universal. And NBC Universal had a food service consultant at the time. who was Chef Joey Campanero, uh, owner of the Little Owl. So when Joey and I met, we... Uh, Oddly enough, we're actually on opposite sides of the table. I was uh, pushing for to buying to keep the company working with NBC, and Joey was looking to uh, remove the company. But we quickly uh, created a good relationship, became friends, and started working together. And then from there, uh, Joey introduced me to Jonathan Waxman and Jimmy Bradley, who he had worked with uh, in the past. And uh, the magic started to happen, and we took it from there. All right, so you've been selling, like, prepared sauces and coffee beans and stuff like that at HEB for a while now. How did you evolve from, we have these prepared items. We want to, we want to take this to the next level. We want to, we want to build a restaurant concept around some of what we're doing. Sure. So, uh, I was consulting with H and B for quite a while independently on their culinary program, their culinary center. They have such a amazing focus on, uh, culinary and true quality ingredients along with proper cooking technique that they teach their partners that they wanted to have some external support uh, translating that to their cooks and their chefs on site. So I worked with them on that along with having our product line within their stores and then working with HEB on the day-to-day they had a desire to start to have coffee offerings within their store but they didn't want to go the traditional plug-and-play route of uh, a Starbucks or a large chain, they wanted to create something within the community that uh, made, made sense and felt like it was something new and different with a highlight on the culinary component, right? A lot of times I feel when you're working with coffees, the culinary component kind of gets lost. Right. You, right. I won't make you say it. I'll say it. Like the pastries at Starbucks suck. <laughs> it's, it's, inex- <laughs> it's like, it's so weird that they, they've so much attention on the coffee and that the food is so bad, but anyway, you don't you don't have to you don't Thank have to you, like yeah. agree with. Me. I'll just I'll just put that out there, and we can you can continue your thought. I appreciate it, but but so but so you wanted to do things a little differently. You wanted to have 
like legitimately good food in a coffee shop environment. Absolutely. I mean, coffee and roasting coffee to me and to us and to the chefs is a, is a cooking and culinary experience, right? When in our restaurants, the coffee is just as important to us as the food. Yeah. So, so how did you, so how did you get into kind of the, the coffee business specifically and, and kind of what are you, cause I mean, from my perspective, there's, you know, maybe as many as like a dozen Houston roasters that are doing kind of their own thing. Like, how do you how do you get into what's a pretty crowded market? Sure. Or at least from the outside, it seems like a pretty crowded market. Yeah, it is. I mean, coffee is one of the largest commodities uh, in the country, you know, and everybody has such a, a admiration and focus on coffee because I feel like it's fuel. The same way we we fuel up our cars with gas, we're fueling up our tanks with coffee to keep us going. So uh, I think there's a lot of room in the market, but for us, when when we first started, when we decided, we said we we want to create a coffee that is just as special as our food. So we partnered with Jennifer Stone, who's a master roaster, level three Q grader, cup of excellence, blah, 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 so on and so forth. She's got more qualifications and knows more about coffee than uh, I think I know about anything. Um, but she was really helpful in taking all of our palates and our tastes and working with us to create something that's very special and unique to what we believed was the perfect cup of coffee. So... All right, so you're in you're in three HEBs so far. Well, like two that you've been at for a little bit, and and one that's opening this week. I mean, how's it going so far? How are people responding to the roastery? It's been great. You know, we've we've had a extremely uh, been been extremely well received, and we have a great response. You know, so we're in uh, the Bel Air location now. We're also recently opened up in the Heights, and as you said, today actually is our grand opening day at the San Felipe. And we've been re- well received at each location, but uh, what's been great is just learning the different neighborhoods and spending time with everybody on site. Um, and so far, it's been great. Couldn't, couldn't ask for more. I mean, is it pretty consistent, like what people like, or are you seeing like very like? Is there something in Bel Air that sells really well, and something in the Heights that sells really well but doesn't sell in Bel Air? Like, like what's the you're, what's it like kind of learning the different neighborhoods? It, that That's really the fun part. I mean, we, luckily, we everything's selling well, but it's interesting to say that, you know, the Bel Air location, maybe we sell one sandwich more than at the Heights. We sell a different sandwich, and um, maybe our Kenyan roast is selling more in the Bel Air location, whereas the Heights, a chef's choice, is selling more. But it's, it's fairly consistent throughout, and luckily um, everything's been well-received. But similar to our restaurants – where we do a lot of seasonal menu changes, we'll be taking that same uh, approach with the coffee shop. So we'll have some items that are static and then a lot of items that are changing actually with the season, be it a scone, uh, the frittatas, the sandwiches, seasonality and localities, super important to us. And then are you developing those recipes or your partners or like, like what's that, like what's that process like? Cause there's, I mean, you're four pretty talented guys. Well, it's it's pretty segregated, and it's good. We we all have individual and unique talents that allowed us to put together the sauces and the product lines and that nature. But as far as the food we're serving at the roastery, it's really a combination of myself, Matt Johnson, my uh, culinary director, and now uh, Kent Domas, who we brought on to be the executive chef at the San Felipe location, which has a full kitchen. It's a collaboration, you know, um, Chefs have a, a bad rap of being stubborn, and in many cases it is true, but 
we embrace more of a collaborative, let's get everybody at a table, put a fork in their hand, taste it and talk about it and filter it to the perfect dish. So I, I want to go sort of two different directions. You're, you're building quite a little team here in Houston. Absolutely. I mean, Kent comes from Alice Blue and Downhouse and Hunky Dory. And then uh, I think I read you just hired Sarah Snitcher, didn't you? Is Correct. That, yep. And she worked for, uh, I know Brian Caswell thought the world of her when she worked at, at Reef and then at Oxbow 7. So, so what's it been like kind of establishing a reputation and, and building a team here in Houston? Well, it's it's super fun, and Houston's full of culinary talent. So, uh, harnessing and working with them has been a great experience. And I, uh, a lot of times, a lot of the headlines I read, you know, New York City chefs come into Houston, and blah blah. I, for me, it's more along the lines of the roastery concepts, more of a Houston-based business because we're working with Houston talent. You know, Kent. Uh, has been great over at San Felipe location. You just mentioned Sarah. I've been working with Sarah for a little over a month now, and she's already one of my favorite pastry chefs I've ever worked with. And then you and I were speaking prior about the baristas we have. I mean, tons of culinary talent and barista talent down here. So bringing them in and working with the group that's here has been has been a lot of fun. And then the collaboration and refinement of all the products with them, it's been great. Uh, and Sarah's so exciting to work with. We were you know, messing with new kolaches this morning and, and different cookies yesterday. And it's just going to, there's a long runway of fun things we could do together. Right. I, you probably didn't even, you know, when you started this project, you probably didn't even know what a kolache was. You're like, <laughs> no, I have to, here's this thing. And I have to have them in Houston. You know. Sure. Yeah. And luckily I had a little bit of a head start on it because, you know, I, I have been working with HEB for about seven years. And then prior to that, I spent a good amount of time in Texas. So I always knew about them. I've ate probably more than I should. Uh, but luckily, I had a little bit of a head start. But no, you're right. As far as making them, uh, that was something new. But again, the good part about that is having a culinary team made up mostly of people from Houston. They're uh, veterans at the Kalachi game. Well, and I mean, the, you know, the, the Bel Air and the Heights locations are kind of grab and go, right? Get a, get a cup of coffee, get a sandwich, whatever, kind of eat it while you shop. But the the Briargrove location is is a much more sophisticated proposition. It's a it's a full service restaurant. Absolutely, yeah. And the, and the goal is, like I say a lot, is to be refined but fun, right? Um, casual dining is great because it peels away all the pretentiousness about food. You order your food at the counter, you go sit down, we'll bring it to you, and then we'll continue to serve you is pretty much our service style, but. You are right. It's a bigger kitchen. It's a lot more to work with, and it gives us the opportunity to start to really go the extra mile on the culinary component. And the menu definitely has a lot more than our other locations, but it's going to grow, and eventually we'll do some large format um, entrees in the evenings and things like that. It'll be fun. Yeah, is there like a is there like a relationship between like the food that comes in the grocery store and the food that comes in the restaurant? No. Like if you so you like if you run out of steaks, you can't like run to the the butcher counter. <laughs> well, I mean, we could, but we wouldn't. Um, but it's 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 great. We enjoy the partnership of you know being right next to an HEB, but and we work together a lot on like i said the development of products that they're selling in the stores or our products that sell in the store we, i've even consulted and worked with them on their mill simple program but when it comes to the restaurants and the coffee shops they're really completely separate entities so i mean heb is building a number of new stores around town one on washington avenue one in Meyerland. there's plans to do one in upper kirby i mean can we sort of assume that 
now when HEB builds a new one, there's going to be a roastery attached to it? Yeah, that's a, it's a good assumption. And we are charted for the um, Washington store, as you mentioned, uh, Upper Kirby. And uh, Myerland, we're going to be doing a kiosk. So in the, in the big picture, there's three formats, uh, about a 500-square-foot kiosk, a 1,200-square-foot uh, mid-range roastery, and then the large format that you uh, see at San Felipe now. So, yeah, so are you going to, so I guess the kiosk could be kind of retrofitted into existing HEBs. Is that kind of the plan? Correct. Yeah. Um, so when will we start to see that? Cause I, <laughs> I, I'm sure there's like Buffalo market and Montrose market shoppers that are like, Oh, that, I might, I might, I might want a little of that. Sure. Yeah. No, we're, we're working on it and we talk about new locations and we, we vet out different locations every day. I agree with you. I think the Montrose location would be great. And uh, there's a few others where it may be a good fit, but you know, like we said earlier, coffee, coffees are fuel. So uh, between that and food, we could pretty much use it everywhere. Yeah. Do you? I mean, and then is it the goal to kind of work with HEB in other cities? I mean, is this, is the? I mean, I, I feel like I once heard you say, "I want to have 200 of these." Yeah. Well, I, of course I do, uh, and luckily Texas is a big place, so uh, there could be could be the potential to do that. And yeah, we we will definitely be making our way to other markets, Austin, San Antonio, but uh, Houston's definitely the focus for now, and it's it's been great to us, and it's uh, it's a great place to be. So I'm I'm happy we're starting here. And then are there like would there ever be a roastery like not at an HEB? Like could you take it to other cities? I mean, do you do you want to take it? home no uh the roasteries is a texas brand like it's uh this is where we plan on on doing it throughout the state of texas and uh where hebs are of course that's our first choice and i could foresee us potentially having standalone brick and mortar locations but uh, i don't really have a desire to make it um, a starbucks or something that goes across the country i feel like you know when, when i spoke with you once and i said i want to have 200 of them uh, th- those are foreseeable numbers. There comes a point in time, though, where you, you're going to be diluted, and we want to always maintain the integrity of the product. So I think that trying to stretch out of Texas isn't isn't something that we're interested right now in, and I don't think we ever would be. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I probably should have asked this earlier, but but what was it about Texas that appealed to you? I mean, I guess you had the prior relationship with sure. HEB, but, but, you know, it, it does seem... Yeah, I just kind of what what made Houston seem like the right place to do this. The it's it is probably the question I get asked the most, um, and I, I get it. You know, people are always interested in how'd you go from New York to Texas, and of course the HEB existing relationship was tremendous, and but the HEB relationship also provided a little bit of a gateway to see what Texas is about. And the more and more I work with the HEB, the more time I obviously spent in Texas and realizing HEB is essentially uh, so much of an integral part of the communities here. And I think HEB is an amplifier of what Texas is about and what Texas hospitality is and what people really are all about here. And so seeing and enjoying working with HEB and then seeing that that translates to the people in Texas as a whole made it super attractive. And I, you know, where you're from is where you're from, but home is a feeling. So being here and spending more and more time with HEB, but also spending more time in Texas, it, it just felt like home and felt right. Yeah. So, so how are you finding Houston? Cause I, I, I follow you on Instagram. So I know you're, sure. you're back and forth a lot. Like, yep. like, 
what's it like kind of dividing your time between the, the two cities? It, it's great. It's, um, you know, I, I, I worked with NBC for many, many years and I was spread across the country a little bit more. We also had restaurants across the country at one point. So my monthly commutes would usually be LA, Atlanta, Miami, Orlando, back and forth into between New York. And now really dialing in just back and forth Texas, New York commute has been, uh, fun and obviously as we're we're growing i'm spending more and more time down here and uh, i enjoy it it's a it i'm not working any less when i'm down here than i am in new york but it definitely feels better <laughs> what are, what's been the biggest surprise for you about houston what what did you what's what's been the most fun thing to learn really the the fact that i say this a lot that texas uh, houston rather almost feels like a spread out New York City to me in some ways. Like you have the Heights, you have Bel Air, you have Kirby, you have Montrose. There's all these different areas that feel very familiar to me because I could relate them to areas in New York City. They're just spread out. And aside from rush hour, a lot easier to get to get around to. Um, but it, that that's what I enjoyed. It's like you could you could pretty much pick pick where you want to be, pick what kind of scene you want, and get it here. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, and I mean, I, you know, we've been sort of, uh, as a city, we've been sort of smarting from uh, James Beard snubs. Uh, <laughs> do you, I mean, but but you feel, how do you feel about the restaurants here? I mean, you feel like you're, it's pretty competitive, or you feel like sure. you're... No, I think it's great. Um, I usually reach out to all my friends down here, and where where are we eating, where are we going, and there's never a sign of a good culinary environment is when people are hard pressed to give you one restaurant. Like when you get to a certain city and you say, "Hey, I'm in Detroit. Where should I eat?" Somebody's like, "One, one, two, maybe three restaurants you'll get." When you when you come into Houston, and you say, "Where should I eat?" It's going to be a lot longer list than three. So it's a sign that you have a great culinary environment. But uh, I also appreciate and embrace the culinary IQ of people around here, and I think that. You know, smart consumer allows you to to expand and do a lot more. And uh, we're we're myself uh, particularly. I've been definitely interested in doing some other projects in Houston aside from the coffee shop as well. Oh, so you think you could do non roastery restaurants, whatever here in Houston? Sure, absolutely. There's there's a uh, a lot of opportunity. I think to do different concepts aside from just the coffee. Um, of course, once we're we're uh, a little bit further down the road in the San Felipe location is probably where I'm starting to look at other, other opportunities in the Houston market. I mean, you're a New York guy, so like pizza, I mean, <laughs> that, that seems like the easy up, right? Italian guy from New York probably should make some pizza. I mean, I shouldn't, I yeah. shouldn't stereotype you. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. I, I would do the same. Uh, but we're do we're actually doing pizza at the roastery at San Felipe and it, and it's kind of uh, you know towing the water on on how uh, how it takes. But probably my first concept out of the gate would be something along the Italian lines. But then uh, I luckily have a pretty good bullpen that I could pull from uh, in other concepts uh, that we've we've had some experience with before. Be it, you know probably seasonal American things along those lines. Yeah, there's that uh, there's that that giant fountain view cafe space like right across from the restaurant <laughs> yeah. i know the landlord i can sure. i can i can give you a phone go. number i can hook you up <laughs> nice we'll get you a broker fee Perfect. <laughs> um 
Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I've kind of come to the end of my questions unless you have something else about, about the roastery or, or kind of what's next for you that you. No, you know, one of the things we're really excited about, um, when you, we talked a little bit before about creating the coffees and, and what, what separates you or what's the difference in, in some of the coffee components and uh, a few of the lines of products we have in our coffee line, there's a chef's choice that was really the four of us putting together a coffee that we wanted to drink. And we were a little stubborn about these are the four flavors we want and this is what we want this coffee to taste like. Then we had a chef's choice that's kind of a collaboration of everybody we had in the room with us that day. And since we're now roasting in Houston, we wanted to create a roast that was really representative of Houston. Um, so we're putting together this H-Town roast. And something that I've been bragging about uh, around the country in New York within culinary communities and whatever else is that Houston is one of the most diverse places I've ever been. And it's saying a lot as you know, being someone who's born and raised in New York, but uh, I'm always impressed by the diversity of the city. So representative of that in this H-Town roast we're putting together, Jen Stone, our coffee roaster, I asked her to source as, as many great beans as she could find around the world um, to create this one specific H-Town roast because I felt like it was very symbolic and representative of what Houston is. You know, it's a, it's a bunch of different beans, uh, a bunch of different great beans put together to create a perfect cup and a perfect product. So that's one of the things we're most excited about <clears throat> launching uh, in the next couple of weeks, which we'll be, we'll be roasting on site at San Felipe. Yeah, and people, I, I, I guess we kind of glossed over this, but we should be explicit about it. The, you can see them roasting in the restaurant. Yeah, absolutely. It's There's like glassed off, and yeah, you can see it. Yep. No, I, and you could see it. You could smell it. It's right in front of you. You could drink a cup of coffee while you're watching it roast. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. All right, so I always like to wrap these interviews up with something I call the lightning round. All right. Five it. easy questions, five short answers. Good, done. Let's go. All right, Jason Giagrande, what is your favorite cookbook? Oof, favorite cookbook. I'm, I'm going to be tied to probably having to say Italian My Way by Jonathan, but uh, he, he'll probably be upset if I don't say it, so I'll, I'll stick with that. Yeah, I think that's yeah. probably safe. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's the first band you ever saw in concert? Uh, Eagles. My uncle is a tour bus driver, so I was lucky. <laughs> what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Chick-fil-A. Who is your... So I always ask people who their favorite Houston sports figure is. That doesn't seem... That That's doesn't e seem that, quite fair No, it's, it's easy. J.J. Watts, 100%. I, I fell in love with that guy when he was doing his fundraisers there in Harvey. That was uh, very apropos with H-E-B, too. All right, and then uh, I feel like as a New Yorker, you're going to have a good answer to this. What is your go-to pizza order? Plain, regular. Cheese. Regular cheese, cheese, tomato. Nice. Uh, all right, give us the website and the social media and all that for the roastery. Sure, the uh, Instagram is at the roastery TX. Uh, the website is www.theroastery.com. Jason, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Eric. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at E. Sandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.